Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review our show. I'm your host, Wim Liu. I'm joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. It is draft day. A. Wiggins, you know, remember that one? No, what's this reference? You don't, how do you not remember this by Drake? Okay, regardless, this is a bad start. But uh, yeah, it is the 2023 NBA draft happening tonight. I'll be headed down to the OVO practice facility uh Me too. around seven that's right both of us will be there and um yeah we'll, we'll see who the raptors take currently the raptors have the 13th pick and nothing more uh in this year's draft but we'll see there's plenty of speculation they'll move up they'll move down you know a lot of smoke screens a lot of uh hints all this kind of stuff if you want more trade rumors and things of that nature first off we'll get into some of those with michael grange who's going to show up on the second half of this program um to give us a lot of the inside scoops on what's going on also you know, if you wanted an outsider's perspective as well, I, I spoke with Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports yesterday and, and essentially got as much information out of him as I could in regards to what are the Raptors going to do with Pascal? What are they going to do with OG? What's Fred's future? Didn't really get into Jakob Pertl's future all that much because I just keep assuming that Jakob's going to come back. But you do see some reports too about, you know, there is a market for Jakob Pertl out there and, and the Raptors will have to compete given the fact that he is an unrestricted free agent. But uh, right now, at least for the next 24 hours, the focus will be on the NBA draft. So that's the first time on the show we actually play the draft music for an actual draft rather than all those little silly drafts that we do during the season. So how you doing, Alex? You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. So like you mentioned, the Raptors currently hold the, the 13th pick. And I know one of the things that Jake was saying yesterday on on the podcast is that, you know, the Raptors, as always, I think this has been a, a theme for them, are are exploring all angles and, and possibilities. And mm. there's been talk about them potentially moving up, uh, you know, a few spots, talking to Orlando. Um, you know, Dallas has got the 10th pick, and, and they're also leaving the option open of potentially maybe moving down in in the draft as well. Mm. Um, I think, you know, based on, based on our, you know, both of our, you know, expertise, um, about this draft, you know, I think people are very clear about the top of the draft. There's a lot of talk about where Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson are going to go two, three. And then it seems like after you get past like the first eight or nine picks, there's just kind of this glut of players um, in the range of where the Raptors are, are selecting right now, um, which which might be of interest to to the Raptors tonight. So I know some of the names that's been mentioned, you know, Jalen Hood, Shafino from Indiana. Um, Kobe Bufkin, Keontae George, you know, aside from just getting into the individual players too, it, you know, it does seem like for the Raptors, I think the expectation, I don't know if you agree, is that, you know, they are looking to just upgrade at, 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 at the guard position, like targeting a guard in this case. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously the Raptors will always tell you that they're going to draft best player available, and they probably mean that in any regard, but also at the same time, it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I remember hearing Bobby on our station on the morning show uh, last week, come on to talk about the fact that, you know, they do feel like they need to sort of upgrade and add more depth at guard. Of course, they can choose to do that through free agency as well or through trade. We'll see. Um, but I think the obvious choice would be to uh, deliver that impact through the 13th pick because it's pretty much in that entire stretch there um, from, you know, guys who are mocked consistently between 10 and 20, there's at least like four or five, guards just linked to the Raptors period, but also most of those 
options there are some sort of guard, whether they're on-ball or off-ball shooters or guys like that. So uh, I think it's a good opportunity for the Raptors to to add more talent in the backcourt, which has sort of been this dire need for a long time. And, you know, again, like um, over the course of our program, we've been talking um, to multiple draft experts about certain guys. And so we had ESPN's Jeremy Wu, who does the uh, ESPN mock drafts with Jonathan Germoni, um on earlier this week. And, and we discussed the prospect of getting someone like Jalen hood Shafino at number 13, what sort of sets him apart. Um, but Keontae George has been someone that I've been interested in, even going back as last as far as last summer, where we were able to see him live as part of global jam. Um, you know, that was just an awesome display by him. He scored 37 points against essentially it was just Baylor versus team Canada. Um, and he did really, really well in, in that scrimmage. Um, and that was against another guy who is also mocked to be, it, potentially in the lottery, but at least in the first round, a guy like Leonard Miller was in that game. I would say Keontae George was head and shoulders above everyone in that game. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, he's been of interest, uh, sort of discussed him a little bit as well. And we could do that here too. And, and then my personal favorite, just from watching all the videos, is Kobe Bufkin. It doesn't seem like he's worked out with the Raptors or there's no like public, um, announcement of that. Um, the Raptors have chosen to take in this approach where, they don't want to publicize who they bring into the gym. They want to mm. keep that part secret. In the past, they would tweet out, you know, here's all the guys that are working out for us. Here's who's going to be made available to media. And this will be done a couple of times, you know, in the month leading up to the draft. And people will be able to get down there and be more familiarized with the process. This year, there have been very little media availability outside of the opportunity to speak with assistant GM um, Dan Tolzman. That happened earlier this week. And there were no prospects in the gym at that time. In fact, they were so careful. They even shut down some of the screens that show you the NOAA analytics. Oh, okay. The was scoreboard like, was shut off. Yeah, oh, they, okay. they even like closed some of those things too. So mm-hmm. they, they really want to keep that sort of quiet. Um, so we don't know if Kobe Bufkin has worked out for the Raptors. There's been a lot of speculation that he might be moving up the draft. But uh, at the same time, he's also a guy who, if he's available at 13, I, I would really much love to see him uh, selected by the Raptors. But ultimately, if they add some depth at guard, I think that would be a good outcome. Yeah, I think of these players who, you know, especially for, you know, the the 590 listeners and, of course, people watching on Sportsnet 360 might not be familiar with with some of these uh, players. Maybe we can just give um, kind of just a brief overview of kind of maybe what separates these guys. And, you you know, we can start with Kobe Bufkin. Um, You know, I think think from all accounts from what, you know, I've read and some of these videos that I've watched, like Kobe, so 19-year-old guard Mm -hmm. from from Michigan, to me is like a high basketball IQ player um, and has a lot of... Uh, versa- versatility to his game. And I guess, like, um, I guess for some of these guys, too, with Keontae, too, and you would put Jalen Hoshifino there, like, Kobe Bufkin doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to, like, going to be a couple years for him to develop type, right? Like, I don't think mm. he's he's going to be able to come in if you're thinking about a Raptors team um, that's, you know, looking to slot in a player right away if he can make it to the rotation. Like, I feel like there might be some questions there, but I think of the guys that we've talked about, it seems like he might have the highest upside. Yeah, I... I, I... I really like Kobe Bufkin. Um, but he, he really came on strong over the course of the year. I think um, that seems like for a lot of scouts that I've sort of uh, spoken to in the course of sort of preparing for this draft, like that is something that people value, right? The idea that you can showcase improvement. Um, one thing else, I think it is it's just a sign that obviously there's more to your game. And, you know, we were able to see that with Kobe this year. Um, for a guard, pretty crafty in terms of the way he's able to to, to get to his spots. Lefty. He's able to finish um, really efficiently at the basket, which, you know, at the college level, it's obviously going to be very different from at the pro level. 
but at the same time, to see a guard shoot close to 70% at the rim um, in any context is is very, very good. And, and I think when you watch some of the film on it, he's really able to sort of, um, you know, use a variety of finishes at the basket. There's a level of craft that goes into it because it's not like he's just dunking on everybody and, and shooting 70% at the rim. He's not really doing that much, um, but he does have a variety of finishes. And I think that, yeah, I mean, he, he gets after it on defense. Um, you know, he was sort of like their go-to perimeter defender, and yeah, I mean, I, again, I think those are good tools, good size for a guard as well. I, I think there's probably just with all these guys, all three of these that we're going to mention today, um, there's going to be some concern as to whether or not they can play point full time. Um, obviously, to play point in the league, not only do you need to have good handles and the you know ability to pass and get some good court vision and good judgment, but also you're going to need to be able to score. Like all the successful point guards in the league nowadays are ones who put a lot of pressure um, in terms of their own scoring, whether that's through the pull-up three or maybe even mid-range pull-up, um, but definitely getting to the rim as well. And I'm pretty confident a guy like Kobe can get to the rim. Um, I think he should display some mid-range ability, but there's a question as to can he shoot that three at a consistent level. So, um, But I do think that you mentioning that with all these guys is the same kind of deal, right? Like they're, I don't know, expecting them to jump into the rotation immediately, even with the Raptors having real weaknesses at guard as is. Um is going to be difficult to see. Um, however, I, I do think that one or two years down the line, like these guys can all be contributors at the NBA level. Yeah, and in comparison, like um, what can you tell listeners about Jalen Hood, Shafino, like compared to to Kobe Bufkin? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's another similar guard in terms of um, kind of a combo guard who can really score. Um, he also uh, took on some, uh, you know, significant defensive responsibilities as well, uh, based on my research. But at the same time, I think Kobe probably did it a little bit more. Um, you know, another pick and roll playmaker seems to really, really have a good mid range pull up. Um, you know, again, the question is, can he shoot it out to three? There are, are some inconsistencies on that front, whether or not he can extend his range. Um, but definitely is a pretty crafty pick and roll player. Um, he's definitely able to make a lot of really great passes out of the pick and roll. His reads are pretty good. Um, the mid range pull up seemed to be the, the, the shot that he went to a lot. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think there is, there is definitely talent there um in terms of as a as a player who can be effective with the ball in his hands the question is can he be effective without the ball in his hands and again it's like that for all these guards right because um you know especially you know in, in today's nba if you're going to be a guard you absolutely need to have a three and for all these guys that is a bit of a question but i mean based on how he shoots in the mid-range he looks really smooth he looks really effective even if it, it, it's it's not like he's spotting up in the mid-range he's pulling up in the mid-range he's got good craft to get those shots off um, so I don't necessarily see why that touch wouldn't extend out, but that is sort of an assumption. Yeah. What about uh, Keontae George, the 19-year-old? Yeah, Keontae, man, Keontae, at the start of this, I, that was the guy that I was really curious about because um, I was seeing a lot of mock drafts and, and he was available in that range. And that's somebody, like I mentioned earlier, that we were able to see in person. Um, he's just kind of a pure scorer. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm less worried about his three-point shooting, even though his three-point percentages weren't the strongest. In college, you know, that we're talking about low 30s in terms of percentages. But when you watch the tape of it, he clearly is a guy who can really fill it up. And he's very aggressive with with this jumper. Um, you know, he gets to it in a variety of ways. I think he is definitely a very aggressive player. Um, I, I, I question more in terms of how his playmaking is going to fare. Um, I think in college, he averaged pretty much the same in terms of uh, assists and also turnovers. And so... You know, you don't want to see that from a lead playmaker. You definitely want to see a much higher assist-to-turnover ratio or just more assist, period. 
But for a guy like Keontae, like he he definitely can score. He's definitely very aggressive. Um, a little bit smaller than the other two guys. Um, but at the same time, you know, he plays so aggressively that you don't really notice it as much. Um, and yeah, just a guy who I, I think he probably his future in the league is probably more as a two guard um, rather than as a point guard. But also at the same time, like you know, for a guy who can create for his own on the perimeter, which is something a, a trait that I think probably all three of these guys share. But I think currently right now, skill set wise, I think Keontae's probably the best between the three of those. This is my personal opinion. Um, I, I do think that uh, there is that need that can be filled on the Raptors. M- my question with him, with, with Keontae Moore, is sort of just like, what are the other skill sets are you bringing, right? Are you also coming in and, and being a really great defender in your position? Can you also play make? If you're a guy who can really get your shot off, can you play make? Otherwise, you're kind of limited as a six-man type, right? One of those combo guards off the bench. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think these are all pretty good options. Um, you know, the Ra- not even included in some of this, the Raptors have the chance probably to take an off-ball shooter as well. And we'll see if Grady Dick drops out of the top 10. You know, he's definitely a very established shooter. Um, you know, guys like Jordan Hawkins, like there, there's other shooters that are in this draft too. But uh, for me, I would personally look to get a ball handler who can also shoot a little bit. Yeah, so if you're sitting in that war room, you know, Bobby Webster, um, fresh off a nice meal at Patois, um, you know, yeah. last night. That's confirmed? Confirmed on confirmed. Instagram. Um, seeking seeking your opinion out of these guys. Like, like who's the guy that you, you would want? Um, I mean, but between all three of these guys, uh, Kobe's probably been my pick. Okay. Um, I just think he has probably the best mix of skills. Um, and between these three, I would probably take Keontae second and, and, and Hood Shapino third. But hmm. um, again, these, I mean, look, these guys have been tracking all these prospects for quite a long time. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've watched a lot more tape than I have, which is mostly YouTube videos online, if we're going to be completely honest about it. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think leading up to the draft, too, obviously, there's a lot of chatter about, you know, trade rumors, whether the Raptors might make some of their players available to, to potentially move up in the draft and like the two names that have popped up the most have been Pascal and, and OG. And I know, you know, and you talking to Jake Fisher yesterday, first of all, you know, there's just a general thought. And I think this has been a running theme now since the trade deadline that, um, you know, Jake was saying that, you know, there's a lot of uh, front offices that think number one, that the Raptors are overvaluing their players. And then he also listed an example of how front offices feel like sometimes the, the, the Raptors are taking these calls with other teams, not with the intention of of making a trade but more to do some um information gathering yeah yeah. so this has become uh this has become the perception uh, of the raptors front office around which which i guess is not very surprising considering that they've been kind of this main player since the trade deadline and and also now heading into the offseason yeah i mean look i i completely understand it from the opposing gm's perspective in the sense that like okay, why are you taking me down the line if you're not really going to make a deal? Mm. But also at the same time, like, that would be more of a problem for me if I didn't see the Raptors ever make a deal. The Raptors do make deals. They probably just haven't made the deals that um, they've discussed in these scenarios with other teams. Now, I think most teams probably operate very similarly. Um, but I know for the Raptors, they plan for each sign of scenario. You know what I mean? Like, coming into draft night tonight, it's like you've already anticipated, like, what if the third pick becomes available to you? What is the second pick available to you? What will those kind of things look like? And so you decide those sort of um, as in almost in reaction to sort of what else is plays out or what becomes available. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, the trade deadline, like, most of it was most uh, was just, like, 
the Raptors hold the keys to the trade deadline, right? We saw that many, many times um, because the Raptors were struggling. They were under 500 for the the vast majority of the year, and they had all these appealing players that could fill winning roles on their teams. And at the end of it, they didn't trade any of them. In fact, they added, right? And so I I could definitely see why some teams sort of feel frustrated in that sense. But, um, I mean, again, like, this is only an issue if teams don't do deals with the Raptors based on that frustration, and I don't think that is the case. Now, are the Raptors valuing their players too much? Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I think um, it's pretty natural for, I think, teams to differ on how much they value certain players. Um, is is there maybe a little bit of a bias in terms of are the Raptors too reluctant to part with some of their own players and go a different direction? Potentially. But also at the same time, like, you know, the Raptors have drafted and develop most of the, the 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 pieces that we're talking about in the trades, right? We're, when you think about Pascal or OG or, you know, when Fred was up at the trade deadline and, and there was some talk there or, like, even Jacoperto, who they literally got back, they also developed him in terms of drafting him and before he went out to San Antonio. So they do feel this, like, investment in those players. They clearly believe in them. And um, so I, I do think it will be natural for the Raptors to value those guys more. Um, having said that, though, I would really love to know, like, how much exactly the Raptors want for these kind of guys. And maybe I think opposing teams maybe want to know that too, rather than just like, hey, if we give you him, what would you give us? And then sort of taking that information and banking it. Yeah, I think it's hard too sometimes just because like you see the way the trade market is like, it's like always evolving. Like look at last year, we were talking about the first rounders that were going out the door for a player like a DeJounte Murray um, or obviously the Minnesota Timberwolves, what they gave up for Rudy Gobert. And then now you look at recently, I mean, different situation because I know Bradley Beal had the no trade clause, but like the, the Wizards have made two trades now, getting rid of Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and, and Bradley Beal, um, two players that, you know, and they haven't netted a single first round pick back, right? So It's actually amazing. I mean, I understand that like Bradley Beal had a no trade clause and a much bigger contract mm-hmm. and more of an injury history, mm-hmm. but just the basketball brain for mine just doesn't really compute the idea that Marcus Smart got significantly more mm-hmm. in return than Bradley Beal. Like, Marcus Smart is absolutely not a better player than yeah, Bradley Yeah, so the Beal. Marcus Smart trade, the Celtics were able to get two first-round They picks. got two first-rounders, and they got a starter. Yeah, yeah. And Chris um, Tapps is going to be great for the Derek White plus all-white lineup, by the way. Oh, well, he's so. actually just taking Mike Muscala's place. Oh, it's kind yeah. of one-in-one no, one one no, situation. That's correct. No, but I think, I, I think that's maybe sometimes a fear, too, of like, oh, you know... <sighs> I don't think the Raptors, the Raptors clearly not in a spot like the Wizards where they've just pinned themselves in the corner and have mm. to rebuild and get rid of these players, right? Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, it's like, you know, all the talk about whether you want to run this team back or whether maybe this is the time to like, you know, see what the value is of, is of our players and be able to flip the roster over. You just never want to leave yourself in a spot where you're not trading these players at whatever their peak market value is, right? Mm. But again, I don't think, I don't think the Raptors are, are there right now. Yeah, I mean... To, to draw a basketball comparison to mm. this idea, um, the Wizards were in a scenario where you picked up your dribble <laughs> and you either have to shoot or pass they it, picked right? up, They picked up their dribble for 50 years. Man. They have picked up the dribble for quite a while and then eventually they just kind of kicked it out, right? That's yeah. what giving up on Bradley Beal, um, or not even giving up, just like just essentially throwing him away for now. They could have traded him two years ago, you know? They could have yeah. traded him before that he signed that no-trade clause, that $250 million deal. For sure, and, and there is like a, there is like a very... Um, there's there's a cautionary tale there in terms of like mm-hmm. holding on to your players for too long, and I do wonder if mm-hmm. the Raptors run into those issues in the future 
um, or like giving up on Chris Tapps and all that kind of stuff. And essentially, they have picked up their dribble. So you can't do anything else with it, right? Mm-hmm. The Raptors are very much like they're pivoting, but they still have their dribble left. No, the Raptors, the you ball's I mean? just rolling right now. The ball has literally, <laughs> since the oh, trade yeah, deadline, yeah. been rolling and no one has picked it up. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the, there is more flexibility from Toronto, but I, I think on, in that sense, it's just like, okay, so if you want to bring back this group, sure. We know, obviously know this is not a championship group. We don't even know for sure that it's a playoff group based on the fact that they missed the playoffs last year, right? Um, but let's say you bring back this group. You got a new head coach. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see what you can do with that group. I, I, you know what? that That's not the most exciting idea, quite frankly, but I suppose it is one way that you could move. Um, and then you could sort of kick some of these decisions down the line. But like, again, how far down the line can you really kick it? Like you have Fred, obviously you have to make a decision on this summer. Right. Is he going to get a better deal than what the Raptors essentially are offering him? Mm-hmm. My sense of it is very much like there is money on the table for you, Fred. But if you go out there and look for something else, maybe you'll come back to us and, you know, we'll, we'll sort of renegotiate based, yeah. based go, off of go that. Get, go get your uh, offer from Houston and then come back and we'll line up the people that you have to babysit. <laughs> yeah, that that's that one's tough, man. Um, I don't. I personally just don't want Fred to be in Houston. I mean, if if the money's right and all that, obviously I'll be thrilled for him. But I just think from a basketball. I mean, standpoint. the money's got to be right because that's <laughs> mostly why you would be going there. Um, but like, that's the decision you got to mm-hmm. make with Fred. And I suppose Gary already made the decision for you by him opting in. Um, however, at the same time, do you choose to extend him now? Right. Right. So that's another decision you got to make on a, on a player. Um, what are you going to do with Jakob Pertl? I think the Raptors should retain him based on the fact that you traded for him. You had a first-round pick for him. So that should already be done, essentially. That I, I really would love to see Jakob Proto signs of the Raptors for this reasonable deal, like, essentially on July 1, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, but, you know, you run into a scenario now where it's like Pascal and OG, they're up for new contracts as, re- as soon as at the end of next season. Do you extend them in the summertime? I don't really think it's that realistic to extend OG, I think it is realistic to extend Pascal. I think he'd be open to that and, mm-hmm. and willing to discuss that. But I don't think the Raptors have actually gone to him and discussed it yet. Um, so you have to make a decision there. And again, like if you lock all these guys in, there is a scenario where you, you wait too long and you are the Washington Wizards. So right. it is a bit of a cautionary tale. Um, but I, I would say that the difference is the Wizards picked up their dribble and the Raptors did. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> using the, a basketball analogy to explain basketball, I think. I think the yeah no that's a that's why he's a one of one man. The, I think the biggest biggest trade chatter coming into tonight, and I'm already exhausted because I feel like this is six years in now. Is is what the Blazers are going to do with their number three pick and mm-hmm. how it's going to impact Dame Lillard? You know, Woj reported yesterday that uh, you know the the Blazers have stopped taking uh, calls on uh, Dame Lillard. Uh, but then today, uh, uh, Brian Windhorst of ESPN this morning said that Dame Lillard does not want to play in a youth movement. And teams are now preparing to send trade offers mm. to Portland for Dame, Dame Lillard tonight. I mean, like Raptors. Sure, they just yeah. prepared it just now. Like, they're, oh, <laughs> yeah. they're in the kitchen right now no, Raptor, cut, cutting up onions and making ingredients. Yeah, Raptors sure. related, too. I know I know Jake mentioned, too, that the Blazers, I guess, weren't. Not that I don't know how concrete the conversation but they, they're not interested in moving that three for, say, a Pascal. Um, or, or an OG. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the biggest storyline heading into tonight. Well, I mean, there's that. I I think there's also some late movement on the idea of who's going to be number two, right? You saw that like, so the Charlotte situation. So Michael Jordan is the outgoing owner. He has sold the team, but he's still controlling the draft. He's overseeing the draft because the new owners just want 
uh, the current brain trust to kind of see through the process. Uh, yes, definitely you want to keep the Charlotte <laughs> Hornets brain trust. But anyway, yeah, keep going. MJ's like, do I hit on this 17 on blackjack or do I stay? Uh, That's oh, his man. decision tonight. But yes, they they brought in That's Brandon Miller. The team. Sorry. They brought in Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson uh-huh. for a second workout and interviews this week. Yep. And then the initial reports was that Brandon Miller had, had won them over because apparently he was not very impressive in the first workout. It sounded like he dogged the first workout. Yeah, yeah. And yep. then he came in and impressed them. But then yesterday he did a serious FM uh, interview and amongst the things that he said uh, first of all number one he said that uh, MJ is not his goat uh, he said Paul George I thought he said uh, LeBron is not his goat yeah LeBron's not his goat uh, uh, Paul George is his goat he also revealed that during the workout with MJ that Michael Jordan airballed a free throw mm. and then also called him old mm. and, and now there's been okay. <laughs> and now there's been reports doing, not, not, not that these things might be related to the report now no. today from Shams that the Hornets are now um, there's momentum that they're, they're that they're going to be picking Scoot Henderson instead. Yeah, with, um, with the number two. So I mean, I suppose it's like classic smokescreen season. Like even think back to last year's draft, like no one even knew who was going to be number one. Oh, right? that's there was right. Like so much. Uh, there's like the Jabari Smith stuff. It's right? like oh, could Jabari Smith yeah. jump up to number one, or or could Chet Holmgren jump up to number one? And you know, ultimately, obviously, Orlando went with Paolo, but mm-hmm. that wasn't even known until pretty close to like the actual time of the draft itself. So I'm not too surprised that there is sort of this intrigue at number two. Clearly you can't really throw out smoke screens for number one. <laughs> you know, like I've only ever seen Victor Wamanyama like he's photoshopped been, into a Spurs jersey and nothing else. He's been hopping the subways in New York. He threw out the first pitch at the Yankees game. Yeah. He's been um, everywhere. You know, I, I really don't like when celebrities take the subway because they just cramp. They just like make the subway more cramped, and it's already quite cramped as it is. Like, so you're a rich subways person, for thing. civilians only is what you're saying? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, okay. it's just not cool. Like, oh, so I, you don't like it when you know? I think the Nets might have done this or something. Like sometimes they do that gimmick where they like take the train to work. You you're not a fan of that? You know what? Do that do that stuff in off peak hours, please. <laughs> I sort of, if I see you on the subway at hour. five p.m. On, uh, and, and there's a seven foot five guy in one banyama and fifty cameras around you. You're saying if you see Macau Bridges and Dorian Finney Smith, you're not you're not with it. No, you're gonna no, report them. No, they they're they're regular civilians. They can they can ride Their the names L train. Are. They can ride the L train. That's fine. But um, yeah, no, I actually I never really liked that. It's like what are you doing? You're you're like sightseeing. You know, just how regular people live. Like, just go back to your mansion. Man. That don't make no sense. And I, I hate it, man. Don't oh, ruin me. All right. Yeah. So those those are the main storylines yeah. tonight, and also you know Raptors again, um, keeping all options open. Right. That's now. what they always do. Yes. Man. This is their this is their motto. This yeah. is their motto. It should be on the Noah scoreboard. The Raptors so. are at the top of the key. Having caught the ball, they're pivoting. They're looking side to side. Maybe yeah. going to make a pass. But maybe they they're nev- going to drive. But they never pick up their pivot foot. Maybe though. they're going to shoot, but they're constantly just, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. So they might move up, might move down, but at the moment they have the 13th pick. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have Sportsnet's Michael Grange join us to talk more about this and also uh, a Raptors ownership news. That's right. Um, that one caught me by surprise last night. But anyway, we're going to take that break. I've been your host William Liu, and you've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers sportsbook award-winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. 
Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. I continue to be joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. And we are joined on the line by Sportsnet's Michael Grange. Grange, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, a little quiet before the storm, I guess. We'll see what happens. What do you mean? The Lakers made huge headlines an hour ago by trading the 40th pick plus some cash into the, oh, the, the 40th pick. Breaking. Come on, Grange. Oh, I missed that. Sorry. I just, My yeah, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Grange, uh, Grange didn't have that one first? All right. We no, can't credit Grange no. on that one. Not, not this time. Um, not this time. Yeah, that, that's, that was a blockbuster. I'm not going to lie. If I was Shams and Woj, I'd be a little upset that I had to, you know, spend the two minutes to, to formulate that tweet. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I wonder how... Oh, yeah. The, uh, or maybe the guys who do their tweets for them. Who knows how that all yeah, works. No, no, okay. gra- no graphic for that one? Yeah. No, no 40th pick graphic I was going to say, wh- whoever makes Woj's uh, breaking news graphics, that, that person is able to keep secrets because I will be so tempted to be that graphic <laughs> artist to just be like, hey. Drop it know, in the group chat type? Loki, I'm going to scoop Woj. <laughs> they become the new Woj by stealing from Woj. Eh, you know, it's, it, was, it seems like the, the way to do it. Anyway, well, listen, Grange, we're going to get into um, uh, this, this column that you wrote up on sportsline.ca, five questions. Raptors must answer as the NBA silly season begins. But before that, there was a bit of a surprising news over overnight that um, you know Larry Tannenbaum may be looking to sell some of his um, shares uh, and potentially even, I suppose, lose control over um, you know the Raptors. So, uh, what have you heard in, in, in that front? Like, what's what's going on there? I haven't heard all that much. Um, the move itself. While surprising, it isn't. Um, I think it's part of a kind of a longer-term strategy for Mr. Tannenbaum. That's kind of been in kind of been in the works. I remember when when uh, Masai Jiri was trying to, you know, was going through his process in, in terms of deciding whether to re-up with the Raptors and or not. One of the questions that was kind of lingering out there was what was the long-term. Uh, trajectory for uh, Larry Tannenbaum as, as owner and his role. Um, Cause I think there was some, you know, there's some, I think turning 80 sort of triggered some language or, or some considerations in the ownership agreement um, that, that it's come out now is, I mean, you know, this stuff is never going to be, it's, it's, it's held pretty tightly, but I think bigger picture um it makes very it's it's very easy to understand. Um, you look at an organization like MLSC, which is, I think, the valuation that I read was eight billion, which seems kind of about right. Like I mean, when you look at maybe even oh, yeah. a bit late, um, and you know, Mr. Tannenbaum owns about twenty five percent of that, so two billion dollars. If he just wanted to exit entirely, um, I would suspect it'd be really hard to find a buyer for $2 billion that doesn't give you full control of anything, you know, when you think about that. Um, and so, and, and I think in the NBA as a whole, they've kind of been running into this problem where these valuations for franchises have increased so much that it, you know, if you're in a minority position, it's kind of hard, you know, to, if you want to monetize the growth in your in your equity, or if you want to exit for tax reasons, whatever it might be, um, it's kind of it gets difficult to find people who want to drop hundreds of millions, or some in some cases billions, 
for without having full control of the of the operation. Mm. And so what they've done at the NBA level is they've kind of introduced this um, a mechanism where you know hedge funds and things like that can can buy minority shares of teams almost as an asset class. And I think regarding the last CBA, there's a, that's a vehicle where players themselves can get can kind of invest in. It's like almost like a mutual fund of, of minority NBA shares and things right. like that. But but um, you know here in Toronto, it's it's you know it kind of signals that you know change is if not coming it's you know it's it's inevitable it's going to be here at some point uh, just given the age of, of mr tannenbaum and um you know he's made a decision that uh, i'm sure makes really good sense for him but uh you know it does kind of create a few questions well yeah exactly i think number one um the big question would just be you know how like who decides like the, who gives the okay you know what i mean like who is going to be the new owner and sort of how, what's their process going to look like and, and how are they going to work with, you know, Masai and Bobby and the rest of the front office on decision-making? And and I'm curious in terms of, you know, if, if this is sort of a more of a long-term approach by by Larry to sort of move off of the, the ownership stake or, or percentage of the, the stake, um, do you think that affects at all the decision-making that goes on with the roster itself? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, um, you know, I think... For I mean, it would only be for the biggest decisions that would have to kind of be um, decided on or kind of consulted on at an ownership level. Um, and I don't think that you know a change with regard to Larry's share, you know, necessarily changes the trajectory or the the way the organization functions. I mean, there's some uncertainty there and, and, you know, that's not, you know, that that's always a bit of a question mark, but um, I mean, it's a really big company and, you know, I think there's no, been no indication at any stage that, that, you know, it's been run at anything other than, um, you know, a kind of first class level. And, you know, Larry's been a big part of that for sure. And he's kind of given, the both teams, even all three teams, you know, a, a face, right? Like it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit, and, you know, there's been issues in the past with uh, Ed Rogers and Masai at times. So that's, he's been kind of a, you know, a, a contact point there, but I don't think, you know, it's something that's in this very short term is going to change very much. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, moving over to the roster itself. So, as we mentioned, there's a column that you wrote on Sportsnet, the five questions the Raptors must answer. Um, it sounds very much like the Raptors are not going to be tearing it down or making some sort of significant moves with Pascal and OG. Of course, you know, something might happen. Offers might come up tonight. Uh, it could come up ahead of free agency. It could come up shortly after free agency. You know, that frenzy is over. You never fully know. Um but at the same time, as it looks to you right now, Grinch, that it does not appear like the Raptors are pivoting towards that sort of tear down or sort of re- rebuild where you realign some of your veteran players into future assets. I mean, it's, it's, I think once they made the decision to, at the trade deadline, to add and bring in uh, Jakob Pertl, it really did sort of set them on a path that for them to 
kind of get to the off season after, you know, things worked out quite well with, with Pirtle in the lineup and it kind of, con- it all kind of confirmed what they were thinking that, you know, that, that, you know, they were a different team with him on the floor than they were previously that I think once that happened, um, it made any kind of big step back scenario unlikely. And, you know, it's not that they haven't looked into the possibility. We all know that, you know, they've looked into the possibility of, of trading any of these players and they did it at the trade deadline. And, there's, you know, I'm sure they've listened and had conversations all the way along. And, and you know, and whenever we talk about this stuff, it usually comes down to OG or, or Siakam and usually it ends up being Siakam just on the age front. Mm. Um, you know, there's been very little indication that they want to, um, take a major step back. And I think when you look at how all of this kind of pieces together, um, it doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense to have to make the move for Pirtle and then not bring back Fred Van Vliet. It doesn't make a ton of sense to bring back Fred, Fred Van Vliet and not keep your leading scorer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of one decision just seems to flow from the other. And as you point out, like it's not like people are, calling me and telling me this is our plan a b and c but you know you can i i have asked those questions very specifically to you know bobby and Asai and over the you know not like not yesterday but over the course of weeks and months and um there's never been an indication that that that's something they want to do or feel the urgency to do mm-hmm. um and so i think we're more likely to be in kind of a some version of of the team that finished last last year, last season will return. And, you know, with some additions or tweaks or, or variations and, um, you know, and I think the decision to re-up Gary Trent, which I think, you know, is that's maybe even further indication. And, and all along it, you know, I uh, was always assured that, look, we'll, we will have the means to sign all of Fred Turtle and Gary, and uh, it, it's if anything with the cap going up, it looks more likely than than ever. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, so a couple of things there. Um, first and foremost, with Jakob, I, I, we're hearing a little bit, you know, more speculation. I think uh, Mark Stein was on with JD Bunkus this morning, and he brought up the idea that uh, you know there is a significant market out there for Jakob Proto as a free agent. Obviously, he's unrestricted, so he's free to sign anywhere. He even brought up the idea of potentially going back to the Spurs, which would be, quite frankly, uh, devastating um, and almost. <laughs> but regardless, what what is your thinking in terms of um, Jakob Proto and it, the chances of him re-signing in Toronto? Because I, I had to assume that when the Raptors traded for him, that essentially, not that they had a concrete conversation like, you know, we're going to sign you to this, but they probably at least had to have a really strong understanding that we are not trading you just because we want to rent you for this potential play-in run. We want to have you back as a piece of our future. Yeah, 100%. And um, I know almost from the day that um, Jakob was in Toronto, uh, you know, when I spoke with people close to him, you know, there was an enthusiasm about being in Toronto, being back here, about this being kind of the stage for him to kind of take the next step in his career in his true prime um, you know, I think that there's a, a, a realistic or there's a, at least a, a solid alignment as to, you know, what his value is in the marketplace. And, 
you know, it doesn't mean any deal is done or that it's, you know, you can take it for granted, Mm -hmm. but like I would, you know, sure. There's going to be teams that are going to be interested, but I think, you know, the Raptors would have both the desire and the means to, um, you know, make it so that this is uh, the place where Yaka wants to play the prime of his career. And, um, and I know from his point of view, he's very open to that. So doesn't mean, you know, stranger things can happen. And, and I think it also means, you know, the Raptors are in a position to take things for granted. But again, um, you know, it would be a little surprising and it would frankly be uh, a significant error <laughs> if, uh, if at this stage he lost Jakob Pertl for no return whatsoever. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, well, with, with Pascal, um, you know, I was having this conversation yesterday on the show with Jake Fisher of Yahoo!, you brought up the idea that um, the Atlanta Hawks uh, have some real serious interest in Pascal Siakam. I wanted to know what you've heard about that um, in terms of the idea that, you know, Atlanta might jump in as, as a potential suitor. And as we know, teams can be interested in the Raptors players. Doesn't mean the Raptors will deal them. So, Yeah, I mean, I've heard the same thing about Atlanta. Um, and, you know, maybe if they were going to trade – DeJounte Murray straight up, like, I don't know, I'm sure the Raptors would be interested in that. <laughs> but Wait, DeJounte but, for Pascal straight up? <laughs> maybe. I mean, I'm just pulling it out of my head, but I mean, sure, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not going to be John, it's not going to be John Collins, I don't think. Uh, well, that so, will be John, if it's John Collins, it'll be John Collins plus. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, I think, um, yeah, I mean, Atlanta's a team, I think, uh, Houston's a team, I think. Dallas would love to give it a shot. Um, you know, I wouldn't be all that surprised if Sacramento wouldn't kind of be wouldn't sniff around a little bit. Sure. But um, again, you know, from Pascal's point of view, there's been no indication from his side of things that he wants to do anything other than be in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he'd be, you know, he really would want to get an extension from Toronto. I think, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, I think the Raptors moving on from Nick Nick and a fresh start with a new coach probably helps Pascal. I don't think it was an obstacle in the past necessarily, but I think it's, you know, I think there'd be some, you know, there'd there'd be, be greeted, you know, I think he'd be interested in a fresh start too. And, um, and I think from the Raptors' point of view, like you got to be really, really careful about moving on from players that you know. And this is another thing we've heard from you know this organization over the years is is you know who you know is you know you know they're very much a bird in hand type uh, organization, right? And and they really uh, value knowing people, knowing where they're from, knowing all about them. And there's no better example than, than the relationship with Siakam over the years. And, you know, so you have a guy who's in his prime, who's productive, who's by and large, uh, healthy and can carry a big load and, um, wants to be here. And so I think to kind of just casually, you know, sort of investigate trades that don't generate, you know, eye popping returns, mm-hmm. um, you know, you really got to proceed with caution. So, um, you know, and like I said, I think, yeah, Atlanta can be interested, but I mean, you know, I don't know if, if they have the, the parts to make a deal happen. Fair. 
That's fair. Um, what about Fred? What about what, what? What's the situation with Fred currently? Obviously, he's going to free agency. Uh, he declined his player option. I don't think that was a surprise. I mean, he's going to make more than what his player option was for this following season. But um, you know, obviously, this now means that he's free to sign with every team out there. Just looking at the market, and I did this exercise with, with Jake yesterday. It was sort of just like. I don't know. It seems like a lot of places that he could potentially be linked to have dried up. It seems like Houston is probably the one contender um, in terms of they have the money and they seem to have lost out on James Harden, who they just assumed that was going to leave a championship contender to come back to Houston based on not, I'm not even exactly sure why, but regardless, um, it seems like he's moved on. And so they obviously have a lot of money and they, they need to give it somewhere and Fred is a major free agent out there, but uh, yeah, I'm curious to, to hear what you've heard about Fred and his status as a free agent. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was a real effort from uh, Clutch, who now represent him, to get him out there and really try to create a market around him. Right. And you know, it, it was like he didn't have to have his have it announced at on, at Game Five of the NBA Finals that he had declined his option. There was two days left, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, that was not any stretch of coincidence or anything other than an orchestrated kind of move to get the news out there that he's declining his option when they did it, you know? Um, and so I think that, that, that that's, it's, it's all about creating a market for himself. It's about creating, making sure that there's some pressure on the Raptors to you know to kind of come with a come correct so to speak um but as you point out um i don't know if there is a market for fred much beyond like i don't think anyone's going to blow him away with a 40 million dollar year offer like i don't think that's out there um i think you know the raptors all along have kind of and we talked about this before they've done a really good job at assessing you know, what's realistically out there for the players they want to keep and understanding, you know, a number that they can meet that more than respects what the players provide and, and makes it make sense for them to, to stay here if they want to keep them. They've done it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, reminds me of a couple of times when Kyle was a free agent and, yep. you know, it looked like there was, you know, he was going to go to Miami, he was going to go to Minnesota, he was going to go to Phoenix, he was going to go to... San Antonio. San Antonio. Yep. And then all of a sudden it was like, mm, no, nobody's going to pay him 30 million bucks. The only place we were going to do it was here. And guess what? <laughs> he stayed. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that's not the case here with Fred Van Vliet, but, and I, I, you know, I also think, you know, you look at Houston and um, that's a lot of unknowns. You know, it's the number one benefit would seem to be no state tax. Um, but after that, it's, uh, it's a lot of, uh, really young players, no history or connection so far to winning. Um, you know, Fred's not 25. He's, you know, like these are the years he probably wants to both make some money and, and enjoy winning, which I think is really important to him. And, you know, I'm not saying you can't do that in Houston, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like there's a super obvious path there. Um, so maybe they would have to pay him, uh, you know, a real premium to kind of take on that, that load. You look at Orlando, um, you know, I think they really like Fred. Uh, there's people in that organization, obviously, they're very familiar with Fred. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they want to spend, you know, this is their real crack 
at free agency, right? Like this is, and and you look at how much talent's on that team, where that talent is is situated. I mean, they still got Jalen Suggs, they got Markel Fultz, who looks outstanding. That's um, another guard. They got six. And Cole Anthony. They right got now. two young picks. Yep. So I mean, I don't think they they are gonna, you know, go way above market in their one chance to alter their team in free agency. Um, for you know, for Fred at a position where they already have some guys. I'm not saying he can't help a team. Of course, he can help a team. But you know, so you kind of walk through all that and. You know, where is his best chance to have a significant role to uh, to be in a kind of a place where he has a lot of influence to, you know, have a chance to win if you really kind of buy into what the potential, you know, internally they think this team might have. Then I think, you know, I think all signs point here. But, um, uh, you know, we've all been wrong before. I certainly have. But, uh, you know, I think there is – some noise out there that Fred is leaving, um, but a lot of that is that's exactly the noise you want to be out there uh, when you're a free agent uh, because it, it means that, you know, at the very least, you know, the team, your incumbent team has to, you know, they can't, they can't, they got to come with a serious offer. Yeah, Grange. Um, I was going to ask you one last question. We got like 30 seconds. Um, you know, in your story, you also quoted a league executive talking about Otto Porter Jr. saying, quote, he's frail. He's always a layup away from being out six to eight weeks. Who is this league executive <laughs> talking trash about Otto Porter? Uh, I got to protect my sources. Okay, but, okay. Uh, maybe 29 other league executives. I mean, it's a long list, right? Oh, okay, we'll so, narrow it down. Uh, we're gonna... I guess the challenge would be finding the league executive who's like, no, that guy, he's, we're going to rehab him. He'll, he'll be fine. I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Because he's, you know, like what he was supposed to do, yeah. the Raptors still need, the Raptors could have used. Um, and I'm sure someone in the league would still kind of hope that uh, – after an off season and our season in Miami, he's he's ready to play for another contract. So we'll see. Well, yeah, Grange, one, one could hope, but uh, yeah, we will see you later today at the uh, OVO. But that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will, and you've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. Thanks once again to Michael Grange, producer and co-host Alex Wong, our board producer Derek Brindale, and Jennifer Olney for helping behind the scenes. Talk to you tomorrow.